On this day, we in the United States of America celebrate an occasion in the past in which some of the people who lived here agreed to tell a person who lived across an ocean that they were no longer in control. On this 185th day of the year that we all agree is 2023, it is perhaps worth pondering who holds control in your life and the degree to which you can make decisions to affect your future. Charlottesville Community Engagement seeks to provide as much context as possible. You control what you do with it. On today's holiday edition, Charlottesville's Bike and Pedestrian Committee wants developers to build new infrastructure rather than opt out by paying into a fund. A project to build a roundabout at District Avenue and Hydraulic Road is funded through the SmartScale process. A panel of the University of Virginia Board of Visitors approves a brick and wood design for the Karsh Institute of Democracy. One of the area's most wealthiest individuals is one of four picks to the UVA Board of Visitors. And the Charlottesville Planning Commission agrees to allow modification of stepbacks for a nine-story building slated for West Market Street. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, have you grown something, made something, brewed something, or otherwise created something that's worthy of a contest? The Piedmont Master Gardeners want you to consider showing off at the upcoming Albemarle County Fair. They're calling on home gardeners, brewers, bakers, beekeepers, artists, crafters, and viticulturalists to submit an entry. The fair is to be held July 27th through July 29th at James Monroe's Highland, and entries will be accepted on Wednesday, July 26th. Ribbon winners will be selected the next day, and entries will be displayed through 8 p.m. Saturday, July 29th. The Albemarle County Fair will showcase the best of horticulture and homegrown vegetables and fruits from the Albemarle Charlottesville area, and highlight local skills in baking, food preservation, fine arts, photography, and much more. The Master Gardeners will set up educational exhibits and children's activities and will be available during the fair to answer gardening questions at a mobile help desk. So get ready for the Albemarle County Fair coming up later this month. Today's edition follows the theme of yesterday's program and perhaps continues to establish a pattern where much of my activity this summer will be a lot of research into meetings that have already happened. This newsletter and podcast exist to try to keep a non-governmental account of what our governments are doing. For much of this spring and early summer, I've not been able to pay full attention to what is going on in terms of details. I'm able to write a lot about what's going to happen in the form of the week ahead newsletters. However, I can't get to everything as fast as I'd like, and yesterday's edition was a summary of the May 23rd, 2023 work session between City Council and the Planning Commission on potential changes to the draft zoning map for Charlottesville. Today's edition is an account of the June 13th, 2023 Planning Commission meeting and other things that came as I was doing that work. A lot was expected to happen at that June 13th meeting, as I reported in a week ahead from around that time. I had already written up one story from this meeting previously, actually three, but one of them was a report from Commissioner Hosea Mitchell, who led me to write an entire article about the University of Virginia's next master plan. I highly recommend taking a look at that if you want to understand more of the bigger picture. But for now, let's actually start this program for July 4th, 2023. 
The closing date has passed for comments for the third module of Charlottesville's draft zoning ordinance, but there was plenty of discussion from members of the public as well as the city's various committees during the June 13th meeting. One of those came from the Bike and Pedestrian Committee, of which Planning Commissioner Carl Schwartz is a member. Module 3 covers subdivision and development plan standards, which includes what a developer has to build to satisfy requirements for public streets. Depending on the kind of street, there must be a right-of-way set aside for Beth Travelways and green space. It looks like there is an, op an option for if a um, parcel does not have um, sidewalks on either side of it, um, they can pay into a fund um, rather than um, uh, being forced to put in a streetscape. The current draft states that the project developer may choose to contribute to a streetscape fund maintained and administered by the city, an amount equivalent to the cost of the dedication of land for and the construction of the streetscape on the property. Schwartz said the committee wants the developer to get permission to get out of the streetscape requirement, permission that would come from the zoning administrator or someone else. He said the committee also wants to make sure that the city retains use of the easement that is given to them rather than have to purchase it later. As it's a holiday, there's no one to ask a follow-up question today, but in 2012, I did write an article for Charlottesville Tomorrow that stated the city did not have the legal authority to require payment for a sidewalk. I'll have to get an update on that. An update from Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg prompted me to finally confirm what transportation projects will be moving forward in the area through the SmartScale project. In late June, the Commonwealth Transportation Board voted to approve the latest six-year improvement program. That includes funding for several projects to be paid for through the fifth round of the SmartScale program. In January, the Virginia Department of Transportation released the preliminary scores for candidate projects. Since then, the projects were tweaked and re-examined, and one project is now moving forward after initially not making the cut this year. Here is Rory Stolzenberg. District Avenue and Hydraulic, the roundabout uh, by the movie theater, which actually the latest is that it uh, may be moved into funded for this smart scale round. That $20 million project was included in a May 2023 update that raised it above another $20 million project to improve the intersection of Peter Jefferson Place and US 250 on Pantops. That project will no longer go forward, but here's a description of the District Avenue roundabout project. This project is a two-to-one hybrid roundabout at the intersection with Hydraulic Road, Cedar Hill Road, with full access onto Cedar Hill Road. It also provides crosswalks on all four legs of the intersection Hawk signals on both Hydraulic Road crosswalks. Hawk stands for High Intensity Activated Crosswalk Beacon, for those interested in knowing the jargon. The other projects funded in the fifth round of SmartScale are the Avon Street Multimodal Improvements, that's funded at about $15.8 million, and about $4.9 million for the Belvedere Boulevard and Rio Road intersection improvements. There are links to the applications for those in the newsletter. At the June 13, 2023 meeting of the Charlottesville Planning Commission, we learned from Bill Palmer of the University of Virginia's Office of the Architect that one project in the Emmett-Ivy Corridor is moving forward. The Carson Institute of Democracy uh, 
building design was approved. So you can go on to the website to see what that looks like. Or you can continue reading this story as we head back now to the June 2nd meeting of the Buildings and Grounds Committee at the Board of Visitors. Alice Rocher is the architect of the University of Virginia, and she sets the context. The site, until most recently, was a low-density commercial area with more curb cuts than sidewalks. It's bordered by the railroad tracks to the north, with the athletic fields beyond that, uh, commercial property to the west, and our international residential colleges and the houses of the Lewis Mountain neighborhood to the south. The Karsh Institute is one of three buildings currently identified in the Emmett Ivy Corridor, with the Virginia Guest House and the School of Data Science being the others. There will be an amphitheater in front of the School of Data Science, whose steps will lead to a pond. The Buildings and Grounds Committee had previously seen the design for the Karsh Institute of Democracy in December. In setting up the conversation, Rocher repeated that its construction provides an opportunity to echo the past. There's a wonderful parallel with the fact that the rotunda was completed in 1826 and the Karsh Institute will be completed in 2026. Clearly, we want a design that speaks to democratic ideals, promotes healthy debate and discourse far into the future. Rocher explained how the design would fit into architecture associated with Jefferson, including the eclectic design of the buildings on the lawn. We also considered how one reads the lawn as a layer of brick behind a screen of warm white columns in the foreground. We considered that the language of the architecture of the lawn is not consistent, that there's an evolution of Jefferson's designs of pavilions 9 and 10 from pavilions 1 and 2, for instance. Back in December, several members of the committee had pushed back on the lack of brick in the design at that time. Rasher said the architectural team of Howler and Yoon took those comments to heart and made some changes. As one reads the rotunda as a brick drum behind a facade of, of white columns and under a white <coughs> drum, dome, we're proposing that the drum of the auditorium of the Kosh Institute is read as a warm red figure behind the screen of the white columned facade. Rather than brick, the building would be clad in wood panels that would be stained to match the red brick of the rotunda. However, there would be white brick in the base rather than limestone as depicted in the December design. We feel that the use of brick grounds the building to the site and the pattern adds texture, warmth and a bit of human scale. The changes had the support of the committee's chair. Here is Robert Hardy. The introduction of brick in this area, it's, I think, really makes the building very warm. The changes did not gain the support of committee member Bert Ellis. I think it's a beautiful building, but it has no relationship whatsoever to the architecture of the university. If you planted this building somewhere else and, and no one would know it's the University of Virginia. Another member said the building would be divergent from Jefferson's design and that there would need to be a written explanation of what the design means and how it all translates. But board member Thomas D. Pasquale said he appreciated the changes that had been made. There seems to be no shortage of buildings going up with red bricks. I think this is a, the, the, as you look at the rotunda-like features at a distance, I think you've done a tremendous job. You have 100% of my support behind it. The committee approved the design with Ellis the lone vote against. The Buildings and Grounds Committee also approved the schematic design for the new energy plant that will be built to support expansion of the Fontaine Research Park. The plant will use geothermal energy. 
This will be our first zero-combustion fossil fuel-free energy plant on grounds. The Karsh Institute of Democracy will be right across the street from 2117 Ivy Road, the only privately held property in that section of Charlottesville. The developer there is seeking a rezoning to planned unit development. More on that in a future edition of the program, or maybe it's this one. You're just going to have to listen until the end. Governor Glenn Youngkin has made his second set of appointments to the public body that makes decisions for the University of Virginia. They include two people with local connections. Let's start with Paul Manning. He's the chairman and CEO of the PBM Capital Group. Earlier this year, Manning and his wife announced the donation of $100 million to UVA for the biotechnology institute that will be named after him and built at Fontaine Research Park. There's also Paul C. Harris of Richmond, who is the executive vice president and chief sustainability and compliance officer for Huntington Ingalls Industries. Harris served two terms in the House of Delegates from 1998 to 2002 in the seat currently held by outgoing delegate Rob Bell. There's also John Now III of Houston, Texas. He's the chairman and CEO of Silver Eagle Beverages. In June, it was announced that Now would donate $15 million to the Karsh Institute of Democracy. The final new member of the Board of Visitors is Rachel Sheridan of McLean. She's a partner in the firm Kirkland & Ellis. For more information on the new appointments, visit a link in the newsletter to an article in UVA Today. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and since the beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter has dedicated their Patreon-fueled shout-out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem. As we continue through this hot summer, Plant Northern Piedmont natives want you to know they've printed over 9,300 copies of their guide, Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. In this guide, Piedmont native plants are defined as plants that evolved before the influences of European settlements that began to shape and change the landscape. Plants included in the guide were selected from the Digital Atlas of the Virginia Flora and occur naturally within the region. You can download your copy today for free and let me know if you do. I would love to know more about what you think about Piedmont natives. A previously approved building slated for the site of a single-story retail complex on West Market Street is likely going to be a little more massive. The Charlottesville Planning Commission held a public hearing on June 13th on a request from Heirloom Development to modify a previous approval. Here is Carrie Rainey, a planner in the Department of Neighborhood Development Services. The existing SUP permits a mixed-use building with up to 240 dwelling units per acre and up to 101 feet in building height. The request is to reduce the requirements for stepbacks agreed to during the approval process. That's an architectural requirement that the building size be reduced in size after 45 feet on the portions that faced West Market Street and Old Preston Avenue. 
The correct request would reduce the 25-foot minimum to a 10-foot minimum along West Market Street and a 5-foot minimum setback along Old Preston Avenue. Attorney Valerie Long argued that the modifications were required to allow all of the housing that has been planned for the site. Among other reasons, the request is important to help frankly, the functionality of the building for residential development. With such a large step back, it cuts into, frankly, the buildable area, the building envelope, and makes it much more challenging to provide um, the, the number of units. Long also looked ahead to the draft zoning code under review. Um, we do note that under at least the draft zoning ordinance, it looks like there is not a plan to continue requirements for step backs. Um, that being said, the t existing 25-foot step back in this zoning district is substantially larger than any other zoning district. The building has not been fully designed and will need a certificate of appropriateness from the Board of Architectural Review. Three people spoke at the public hearing. One of them was the executive director of The Lighthouse, an educational nonprofit located next door. Here is Dina Gould. The noise and debris from the build will prevent us from using our studios to teach, our theater to screen, and our space to make the money we need to operate. We have spent over 20 years growing our organization, buying and renovating the Vinegar Hill Theater, and adding new studios. And we are concerned that the noise, debris, and dangers of the build will severely disrupt our organization and threaten its financial stability. Councillor Leah Perrier noted that she was concerned about the impact on Loud House and implored the developer to put safety first. In his remarks, developer Jeffrey Levine reaffirmed that there would be pedestrian access throughout the site between Market Street and Old Preston Avenue. Former Commissioner Liz Russell asked a clarifying question. Can you clarify, is this pedestrian access something that's open air? Is it, um, is it like an like a covered alley? What, 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 is, what is it exactly? Well, we, I don't think we, I don't think we exactly know. I think right now that's why in our original uh, voluntary conditions, it was in there as just pedestrian access through. So that was it. We don't, until we get into detailed design, I, I don't know what that will be, whether it'll be covered. Safety and security will be number one. The commission unanimously recommended approval of the changes in the stepbacks. The public hearing satisfies the city council's requirement to hold one before they are asked to take a final vote. And finally today, the main impetus for putting out a newsletter and podcast today was to make sure the Planning Commission's most recent public discussion on the zoning ordinance was fully documented somewhere before the next work session with the city council tomorrow. Turns out, uh, not much was said on June 13th when this item came up. The brief conversation began with a request from the city's Housing Advisory Committee to become involved with the discussions about the sensitive communities areas. These are areas of the section identified in the future land use map where there is to be additional care taken to try to prevent displacement. A memo on the topic was distributed as part of Module 2. The Planning Commission declined to adopt a motion to direct staff in part because staff was already set to discuss with the matter at their next meeting. That next hack meeting was on June 28th, and it is unclear if that discussion did take place. There is currently no information about what happened at the meeting available on the city's website, nor is there an agenda. Now, 
How long do you think it will take me to write up the zoning discussion that's going to take place tomorrow? And how long until I get to the preliminary discussions for 104 Stadium Road and 2117 Ivy Road? There's so much to write about, and with the support of paid subscribers, I'll continue to attempt to get to it all. But for now, we're at the end of number 552. The other day, I showed someone how that when I hit send on one of these newsletters, the Substack app will tell readers immediately that there's something new to read. The technology that allows that to happen is quite amazing, but also has fueled a general fragmentation of human society. It's the hope of this newsletter to try to continue to write about a community and bring more people into the conversations that happen at public meetings. It's a lofty goal, but so is the idea of America. I may not always implement this work as well as I'd like to, but I'm constantly trying to improve my craft. That's the same way I view this country. An experimental approach suits me, and I'm glad that so many of you are helping support me on my journey. Thank you. Stay safe out there today. It is an explosive day. Uh, and if you don't like fireworks, uh, that's okay. I don't either. There, I just admitted that. Now, the end of this program. <laughs>